Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Aisha Kai, managing editor of The Glow Up, and today we have an immensely talented guest on the show, a writer so gifted that her debut book has dominated both the literary awards and conversation this past year. That's right, we're talking about Disha Filia. Disha's collection of short stories, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, came out in September of last year to overwhelming acclaim. It won the 2020 Story Prize, the 2020 LA Times Book Prize for First Fiction, and we happened to speak with her right after the announcement of her 2021 Penn Faulkner Award. The Secret Lives of Church Ladies was also a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction and has been optioned by Tessa Thompson's production company for an HBO Max series, which Disha will also be writing and executive producing. All of Disha's success with The Secret Lives of Church Ladies makes the fact that it was rejected by numerous publishers even more shocking. And we discussed this a little in our interview. But as readers across the country now know, this book is an absolute gift, as was the conversation I got to have with Disha about it. We talk about how the stories came to be, the inspirations behind them from her religious upbringing, what she hopes readers will get out of the book, and so much more. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Disha. Disha, welcome to It's Lit. <laughs> Thank you, Maisha. I am thrilled to be here with you. I love it. Disha, Maisha, this feels like, it yes. feels like his bed. I love it. Yes. Um, and I am <laughs> so excited to speak with you today, not only because, you know, as we have previously discovered, we have mutuals in the yes. Black intellectual space and probably beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think our listeners should also know that we are speaking to the winner of the 2021 Penn Faulkner <laughs> Award for Fiction. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. This literally <laughs> happened the day before this interview. Um, I don't know yet when this interview will run, but I need to shout that out because, oh my thank God, you. girl, you did it. That's Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited thank for you. you. <laughs> it's so cool. And so we're going to dig into that. But before we dig into the marvelous collection of short stories that comprise the secret lives of church ladies, we have a tradition here in its list. Okay. Since this is a podcast about Black books and writers and thought leaders and, you know, poets and such, uh, we like to start each episode by asking each of our guests if there was one book in your lifetime. Ooh. You know, okay, so maybe not just one, maybe a couple. <laughs> but okay. if, there were, if there were one or a collection of books that really formed who you are as a writer, oh. you found them mind-blowing, they yeah. life-changing, game-changing, they give you the confidence to do what you're doing, yeah. what would be that book for you or those books? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I definitely have to say James Baldwin's, um, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Mm. That was mm -hmm. the first book of his that I read. And I think it might have been other than like YA books, like, um, and I'll shout this one out too. Daddy was a number runner by Louise Merriweather. I, that's a YA book. And I read that yeah. over and over when I was a kid. And it was the first time I saw myself, even though this black girl was living in 1930s Harlem, 
it was important that I saw her black ass life, right? And so it was like the power of story and connection. And then James Baldwin with Go Tell in the Mountain, the same thing. It's such a deeply, you know, personal story. It's not, it's a, it's a novel, but it's, we know it's autobiographical. And so I felt like I was reading his story and, you know, this conflict with the church and who he wanted to be mm. that made an impression on me. And then I'll say Toni Morrison's Sula. Yes. Um, yes. Toni Morrison's whole, whole everything is unapologetic and unapologetically Black. But, you know, the generations of women in Sula and the women, you know, they just do whatever the hell they want. And I mean, not without consequences, but that freedom and that mm-hmm. s- that striving for freedom and agency and boldness and she dared to write Black women who were not always on the side of right and they were messy. Yes. And aren't we sometimes, you know? We are, so oh my God, we really are. We are so messy. <laughs> we are so messy. Yeah. No, no. I say this as a, look, <laughs> man, <laughs> there's so many things that we could say, <laughs> but, uh, and we will. Uh, you know, I, I, I love that you pick Sula and I think that regular listeners of the podcast know that that is literally my favorite book of all the time. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. for me, I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, Sula for me, I think was a book. And this is not, I don't, I don't think I'm slighting the mothers, the aunties, the grandmothers yeah. of my life when I say this, even the friends. But that was a book that taught me very early on about black womanhood. Yes. And about the complexities yes. of black womanhood in the ways yeah. that like their eyes were watching God does. But like, I, I just mm-hmm. think like that's a book that sits in my marrow. And I mm-hmm. love that you said that. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have also <laughs> crafted a book that I have to admit, I think will sit in my marrow for, oh, for some wonderful. years to come. This book, and I'll admit, I came to it late. Uh, I knew about it because we have so mm-hmm. many mutual friends. I knew about it. I was excited about it. I think I even bought it on my Kindle. <laughs> it was like a whole thing. And then because we launched this podcast, I hadn't gotten around to reading it yet yeah. until we actually were like, no, 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 we have to get Disha on the podcast. Aww. And I read this book and so I have certain books. I've never used this term on the uh, podcast before, but I have certain books that I call Woo Chow. (laughs) Like Woo Chow. You have Woo Chow moments, right? For me, (laughs) like I'll just be reading a book and I'll be researching, trying to get ready for our writers. And I'll have a moment where I'll be like, whoo. Just need a minute. Yes. I need a pause, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had that moment. So many times with this book, oh. which I should add, this is a short, it's just a collection of short stories, which is not a format that we have reviewed consistently on its lit. But I think it's safe mm-hmm. to say, and some major awards committees agree <laughs> that this book <laughs> rocks our world. Like this is, this is it. Like this is, uh, you hit on something here that was so true and so beautiful. Thank and you. you not only crafted a bestseller, but uh, to date, you have earned not only the Penn Faulkner Award, as we noted, but the Story Award. And you were a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for fiction. Yes. So, so much. <laughs> uh, have you felt overwhelmed by this? I mean, it's okay if you say, <laughs> like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've felt definite mixed emotions. And I really appreciate the question because sometimes the pressure is you know, all these wonderful things are happening and you're only allowed to feel one way, which is happy and and thankful. And I just sometimes want to tell people, not that anybody's pressuring me, but it's like, you know, there is a pandemic happening. You know, we we have lost people. We, you know, this time last year, you know, we were in the streets 
fighting once again to assert that our lives matter. So it's like all of this has like an asterisk, you know, that I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the recognition and the celebration of my book at this time, which is such a horrible, horrible time otherwise. And I'm happy that for myself, but I'm happy that other people have said, this year sucked, but your book was great, <laughs> you know, and if you could give people that, and that's what you want for your work. You want people to connect with it in a way that gives them something they need. Do they need an escape? Great. Do they need validation for some old wound or wound they didn't know? You know, just something yeah. that made them feel just, you know, a, a couple of hours, because all it takes is a couple of hours to read it outside of a, a yeah. day yeah. of escape from what we all have been like. It's like when we've been holding our breath, you know, for a year. So the long that's my long answer to your question is that it's been fantastic and it's been really hard. Yeah. It's been really hard because if I, and, and I've been pretty isolated, like I followed the rules, you know, <laughs> you know, I've been one of those people, like I haven't been inside of a restaurant, not, you know, none of that stuff. And, um, and I have two daughters who go back and forth to their father's house. So a lot of times I was literally by myself. It was truly mm -hmm. isolation and, you know, and that takes its toll. So alongside these great wins, you know, it has been survival, you know, for, for so many of us. And I've allowed myself that, I don't know, multiplicity, I guess you would say, to feel more than one, just one thing about this time. You know, look, I, I love that you said that was your answer, because I'm a huge believer that more than one thing can be true. Yeah, I'm a huge believer that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I yes. think we can both be in the middle of yet another, because we know this is not the first, racial reckoning in the United States, and also yeah. feel a need to escape and a need to yeah. find, uh, and I would even say find joy, because I think that you're, you're, this book offers a lot of different things, right? Like yeah. it's, um, it's poignant and it's bittersweet and it is, um, painful at points. It's affirming at points, right? And it's deeply joyful at other points. And for me, as somebody who has lived this past year, you know, mostly on lockdown, like everybody else, you know, mm -hmm. uh, except for our essential workers, shout out to them, <laughs> like, yes, you know, yes. but I, I found so much affirmation in this book. And I say that, I say that as somebody mm -hmm. who considers herself kind of like a, a religious heathen, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm a recovering <laughs> Catholic. So for me, I was like, oh. wow, this is steeped in a tradition that <laughs> I not only was not totally raised in because my mother had left that tradition, <laughs> yeah. but also, but I mean, it is part, I do, I do accept that as part of African-American culture, if we call yes. it that. Yeah. Like, I think whether you're religious or not, you know, these people. Yes. And you know what this is about. So how did this book begin for you? It began, you know, 20 years ago when I wasn't even thinking about a book. Well, I'm, that's not true. I was thinking about a book, but I wasn't thinking about a collection of short stories. I was thinking about a novel. I was trying to, I just, you know, my first impetus to write was fiction and I wanted to write a novel and I was dissatisfied in my own life, but I didn't feel comfortable writing nonfiction about myself. So I gave that dissatisfaction to these women, to these characters. And when I mined my memories and imagination and the nostalgia and all of that, it's these church women who emerged. And I didn't think of them as church women. But, you know, I was living here in Pittsburgh where I'm not from here. I'm from the South. And I think 
I, I call it nostalgia, not homesickness, because I didn't necessarily miss Jacksonville, but that's what I was thinking about. That's what I was um, kind of wistful for. And those women in and out of the church, because, you know, people were always reconciling that, including my mother and my grandmother, about whether you're in or you're out and all of these rules and how do you navigate that. And it made an impression on me. And, and, and so I think that because it made such an impression on me from a young age, but also at the critical juncture of puberty, I think that's why when I tapped into that creativity, that's what came up. Because I spent a lot of time watching church women and wondering about them and their sex lives and all of these things, you know, like I was a a very precocious kid. I mean, I would never, you know, say anything, but I was certainly wondering like, wait, so you're not supposed to have sex and this and that, but we're all here. So how'd you do it? We're all here. But then it was like, well, do they like sex and do they masturbate? You know? So I was always curious and, and I was trying to be, um, good uh, according to the rules and you know with mixed results and it was you know all this heaven or hell and it was a lot and it impresses upon you as a kid and so then by the time I was in my late 20s it's like okay I've done everything right I'm married I have my children you know and I'm miserable and I'm not satisfied and so now what and so I couldn't say that out loud so I gave my dissatisfaction to my characters and I didn't know what I was doing so I had three attempts at a novel and then one of them had legs and I got like two thirds of the way done with it. And I stalled. Then I started writing these stories and I had an agent because um, of the co-parenting book that I wrote first with my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And my agent said, OK, whenever you have that novel, I'm ready. And it was like, yeah, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> and so then she knew about these stories and she said, well, what if you did a collection around these church lady stories that she called it that first. And I was like, huh, okay. And the themes were black women, sex in the black church. And not that it's easy to write a collection, but it's, it's a different muscle than a novel. And it felt more possible her making that suggestion to me. And she said, if you get three of these stories published, we could start shopping a partial manuscript. That felt like I could something I could do as opposed to finish that novel that you started in 2007, you know? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Like, you know, again, as somebody who has largely lived out of the religious tradition since I was probably about 12 and left Catholic school, I have to say that for me, even, I was so taken. Uh, You know, to use one of your own motifs that you use in this collection, this collection was delicious. It was like peach cobbler delicious to me. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you. Like it was buttery and it was rich <laughs> and it was flaky and it was, you know, <laughs> crusty. And, National and, Beach Cobra Day is coming up. Hey, yes. <laughs> you know? So I say that to say that like it, it hit me in a spot that felt so satisfying and felt so affirming. But I, ha- you know, you talk, you are very candid in this book and I love it. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love it. Uh, you talk about bodies. You talk about sex a lot. And you kind of bring, mm, how do I put this? I feel like you kind of bring <laughs> the Bible into this and the Bible yeah. and people who live in that tradition. Yeah. And, and I think that so many of us as Black Americans, whether if it's not our generations, it's our parents or it's our grandparents mm-hmm. or our great grandparents. In my case, I'm lucky enough to have known all three of those generations. Yes, it's wonderful. And, and some of them have clung more closely to others than others. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it brings home something. And I feel like you were inviting us, and I may be wrong mm-hmm. in this, so please mm-hmm. correct me. I feel like you were inviting us to re-envision our relationship with the church in a new way and to yes. put our, place our humanity in it. Yeah. I, 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 I was hoping to, I've, I didn't think this when I was writing it, but in hindsight, in retrospect, I wanted to stir up some good trouble in the yeah. church. Um, cause I, I got, I got invited to talk about my book in the context of Black History Month and in the context of Martin Luther King Day. So I had to really think, what are the connecting points? And I think that's it. When, you know, you think about what John Lewis said about good trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it, what it is. I wanted there to be healing conversations that could take place inside the church or outside of the church about how we've tried to navigate or reconcile or heal or unlearn the things that we were taught that don't serve us well. And so in that regard, you know, people are like, oh, you worried about what church people thought? And I'm like, no, I wasn't worried. I was hoping that they would engage because I want that good trouble. I want people to question why certain things have always been a certain way and people get hurt. You know, why are there these double standards around gender? Why is there so much hypocrisy? Why are there pastors who have done things publicly that they need to be held accountable for, but they really aren't? Those kinds of things. And why is it that you have these male-led institutions, but 80% female congregation? You know, those kinds of questions I wanted people to ask because those things don't happen by accident. Why do people feel unwelcome at church? Mm. You know, let's talk about, uh, I took this class in, at the, um, the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith, and they talk about the unholy trinity of fear, guilt, and shame. Oh, you know, how many, you know, what do you, if where is everything this class you, and where can I get a link? I need it. I need this class. Incarnation. <laughs> Incarnation Institute of Sex and Faith. Um, they're training clergy wow. uh, in sex education and they're training therapists in religion. So they have a basis to help Christian clients heal mm. without having to throw away their faith because you don't have to. You I mean, know? shame, guilt and faith. That's all I have to say. Like, my God. <laughs> so and, and so, you know, if you if, if your traditions and your understanding and your reason to cling to something are rooted in fear, shame or guilt, that's a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, at a minimum, I want people to ask themselves, why do I cling to these things and has it been serving me well? And the church to answer for that. If we broaden the conversation, we might have that conversation with the church. We might need to have that conversation with our mothers. Yeah. 
We might. <laughs> we might. We might. Need... Listen, I'm not going to say it's not going to be on my Mother's Day gift list this year because I think there's things that maybe we. Yeah. OK. So, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, mothers I and love... daughters are reading this book and, and I, talking listen, about things. I am excited and... to read this book with my mother. I think it, I think this is I mean, you did so much here and I, I love that you did it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm also curious, you know, this is going to be a risky question. So we're talking about mothers and, and mm-hmm. children and you have children and this may be asking you to choose amongst your children, but yes. I, I have a favorite in this book. Do you okay. have a favorite story? In this it book? keeps changing and it is like children. <laughs> and like, I often say peach cobbler because I love mm. that other people love it and so it was rejected. It was rejected. I need people to know. I need especially um, emerging writers to know that that story was rejected. It has never been published anywhere other than my book. So that is lesson learned that just because something doesn't get published or accepted, it's all subjective. Right. It went from that that to story is amazing. It's not my favorite, but it is my second favorite. That's an amazing story. So I mentioned that one to say that. But I think my favorite might be how to make love to a physicist. That's my favorite. I can't, I can't even front. Like that is, that, that story spoke to me in ways that I just, ah, Disha. I just, I felt really, I just felt really, uh, I felt seen in a way that I don't think, um, well, also I think it, it wasn't just that I felt seen in this literary sense. I think it's a way that we don't always allow ourselves to see ourselves, right? Yeah. And, the character that you illustrate here, and I don't want to give too many spoilers to people who have not yeah. read this book, and everybody <laughs> should, listeners, you should read this book. Uh, um, I, this particular story for me, I think, hit at the heart of what too many Black women I know who are my age, mm-hmm. in my 40s now, mm-hmm. who are maybe unmarried or maybe been married or, you know, whatever, whatever your status in life is, and have gone years without being touched or have, have, uh, exempted themselves from yeah. that opportunity or <laughs> what have yeah. you. And there is something so gorgeous, just gorgeous and patient and introspective that happens in this particular story that for me <laughs> as a reader was like, whoo, see, I told you I have it. <laughs> I have it. That's, the mo- <laughs> That's the moment. I just, I was like, yes, yes. Because <laughs> we all deserve that. We all yes. deserve that tenderness that we give it to ourselves or, and, you know, perhaps there's someone else that gives it to us, but in a minimum that we give ourselves time and tenderness, Yes, you know, that's what, that was important to me. He's great, but I wanted to make sure she was straight first. It was really about you know? her. It really was yeah. about her and that yeah. she was laying and tilling and then gardening and then refertilizing, ref- retilling the, yeah. the ground for him. But yeah. like, I felt so, uh, I just thought that was, it was so masterfully done. Thank and you. from a craft perspective, I just thought, <laughs> even the way you drew that story out, cause like you, you know, look to our listeners, if you haven't read this book yet, and I hope you will, it's usually we're used to having something drawn out over a long narrative, mm-hmm. over 200, yeah. 300 pages. And you managed to do this in the space of maybe 40. I don't know. I didn't count the pages, but <laughs> you know, it, there is this very push pull, like, is it going to happen? Will they? Won't they? You know, and I thought that that was masterful, like this, Thanks. this tension that you created, but also this very distinct and, and articulated 
need for it to draw it in exactly this way that I felt actually served as a kind of a guidebook to some of your readers who might be in the same position, which leads me to yeah. my, my next question, which is, because I always ask this question, I'm always curious, because I think, you know, people write books and I'm a writer, so I, you know, I write things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do you hope people will use this book? How do you hope they will yeah. engage with the secret lives of church ladies? So, you know, the secrets that in, you know, from the title, those are the things that we feel like we can't say mm-hmm. or we can only whisper to ourselves or maybe whisper to a friend. And so I'm hoping that women will feel like you said, like, I feel seen like, oh, OK, I'm mm-hmm. not the only one. Mm-hmm. And here's maybe a blueprint for how to get free or it's a cautionary tale of what happens if you don't get free. But ultimately, I hope they can see what could be possible for them. And not that anybody should have to give you permission or validation, but some of us who have been influenced by the church, we are waiting for somebody to come along and say, it's okay if you feel this way. It's okay if you touch yourself, you're not going to go to hell. Right. It's okay (laughs) if you love somebody who looks like you, who was also a woman, right? Like all of these things. All those things are okay. We've been told, um, you know, bad, terrible things are going to happen. And, and so, you know, I've been a little surprised when people tell me that like their churchy relatives like my book. And then I'm (laughs) like, wait a minute. I'm not surprised because all of them, we're all freaks, right? But you know, you just don't say it. Who we are now may not be who we were 20 years ago. (laughs) So we can all relate whether we admit it or not. And so I think there's something satisfying about that when people can say, you know what, I am churchy, but I also like to have a good orgasm, you know, like you don't, we don't have to pick these binaries. Listen, I personally believe <laughs> orgasms are close to godliness. Like I just think God invented all the things, including orgasm. Literal, Hello. You know, think about religious ecstasy, like the, just the heights, you know, only God so, could yeah. create an orgasm. Let's be honest with that. Like, why are you guys playing? I don't even know and why this we, is the problem. Women are the only people that have a body part that's only purpose is pleasure. Mm. Right. And so you cannot tell me that a God wanted us subjugated exactly. when that God gave us a mm-hmm. clitoris. I exactly. Because <laughs> otherwise we just, we would literally just conceive and that'd be it. Right. There'd be no pleasure. God created pleasure as well. And yes. I, I lo- like that to me was reverberated. There were crescendos in your book. I'm just going to say oh. it like that. I know that's a weird way to say it, but I'm going to say it. I love it. And that's what I meant. Uh, so we have heard through the grapevine, as it were, <laughs> that uh, this is not the end. You know, for those who have no. already read your book and love this book, it is apparently coming to the screen. <laughs> yes. yes. Tell I, me about this gosh. process. Tell me about this process. Like what, I think what this means to you, what you're excited about. Like, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I am just floored and just so honored that like when people started saying, I love your book. I love your book. Mm -hmm. Some of those people were really famous. Yeah. (laughs) Really famous Black women um, who reached out to me directly. And so that kind of started some conversations. But when my book was first announced in 2019, you know, they announced Books and Publishers Marketplace. And it was just a simple, you know, because it's a little book. And um, it's, uh, it's on a university of press. It's short stories, which not a lot of people are into. And it just said something, uh, you know, I think it had the title is about black women, sex in the black church. That was it. 
And the day after that, I heard from an agency, a um, film and TV agency, and they said, we might be interested in this. And they just stayed in touch for a year, like every step of the process. When I had a manuscript to turn into the publisher, they got a copy. When I revised it and we had our my arcs, they got a copy. And then the book came out and they were like, let's talk. And I'm like, okay, so, and here are these famous people who <laughs> are so interested. So I had interest coming in and then we pitched out. And so what that created, thankfully, was uh, what they call a competitive environment. So I had choices. I had multiple offers, which is a great yeah. position to be in. <laughs> and one of the posi- one of the great things about that is that I could say, I don't want to just option my rights. I want to write. I want to write this. I want to write this pilot. I want to write this show and I want to executive produce. Mm-hmm. And so I get to do both. And I'm really excited about that. So we're in the very early stages. Not a word has been written, but we've certainly been doing a lot of envisioning. And my deal is with HBO Max and I'll be executive producing with Tessa Thompson. That I can't even write. We've reported like, on it, but I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to say it out loud. Like, yes. That's like my pinch myself. <laughs> Tessa is incredible. I've had, you know, really good creative conversations with her about the book. And we've talked, you know, kind of high level about some of the things that are important to us to keep for the integrity of the stories, but then the ways that we can build and expand beyond, you know, the, the stories as they're written right now. You know, we can move forward in time. Mm-hmm. We can move backward in time. We can combine stories and characters. Like, I just feel like a kid in a candy store with this. So I'm excited about writing it. I am excited to see it, to hear it. I might try to crash a writer's room. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's, that, but... that writer's room is going to be lit. So many people are like, let me know. Give I'm me a call. I'm like, saying, let's I'm, do it. However it happens, I'm here for it. And yes. I cannot thank you enough for joining us on It's Lit. This is like, you know, look, I, we love to see our folks win and you are thank winning. Thank you. And I really, I really truly believe this book was so necessary for a lot of people. Like I felt unleashed and I considered myself a pretty free person my whole life so uh, I have to say thank you for this book thank you for everything that you gave oh thank you so much and thank you for loving the book and and for having I love the book I love you I love our community I love the whole thing I love the way you love black women thank you for all of this it's just beautiful you're welcome Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. 
And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. What I'm currently reading now is How the Word Was Passed by Clint Smith. Um, this is a <laughs> reflection on how the legacy of slavery has shaped America and how the Confederacy continues to impose its will upon any number of states outside of the Confederacy through its iconography. And, you know, in, a, in an era where we have seen arguments for reparations, where we have witnessed the 1619 Project, where, you know, we continue to have this conversation about what Americans who are legacies of, you know, enslaved people are owed. This particular book, I think, is such an offering of the kind of persistent trauma and triggers that we're subjected to. So I, I really appreciate Clint writing this. Um, I believe we're going to talk to him soon. So that's, that's exciting as well. But that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week. In the meantime, as always, keep it lit. Keep it lit.